This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 45, about Agent Carter, season 2, episode 2, A View in the Dark. Welcome back to Defenders TV Podcast, Defenders. I'm Derek. I'm one of your hosts of this episode of Agent Carter on Defenders TV Podcast. This week, we're talking about season two, episode two, A View in the Dark. Uh, really looking forward to getting into this one. Yeah, I'm your technical uh, devil, John. And running at the group, I'm Chris. Welcome back, Chris. Welcome back, John. Thank you. Good yeah. to have you on board. Yeah, Hold great. on. Where were we gone? <laughs> Been gone for a whole week. Yeah, that's true. Technically, I know. Technically. A week is a long time in Agent Carter. And politics. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, for those of you who are following on, along with our coverage, we're obviously covering each episode of Agent Carter as they're released in the UK on Fox TV UK every Thursday night at 9 p.m. Uh, you can follow along with our with our live tweeting on that over on at DefendersCast on Twitter. So the first two episodes are released separately in the UK and Ireland. Uh, they were aired on the same night in the US, but uh, we're covering the episodes once a week as they come out on Fox TV UK. Yeah, that's right. And so if you have um, any feedback to give us, please send it in to feedback at uh, defenderstvpodcast.com. And of course, the important thing is to let you guys know where we are on the interweb. And we can be found at defenderstvpodcast.com forward slash iTunes, uh, where you can subscribe and, and listen to the podcasts or just to search Defenders TV Podcasts in any other good podcast catcher um, to listen to us and, again, to subscribe to the podcast feed. We're on to Episode 2, Season 2 of Agent Carter. Derek, have you got your little uh, nuggets of information? Yes, I do. This episode of Agent Carter was written by Eric Pearson, who also wrote Episode 2 of Season 1 of Agent Carter. Uh, and it's also written by Lindsay Allen, who wrote A Sin to Air, which was Episode 6 of Agent Carter last season. Great to see these two writers back. Really enjoyed those two episodes last season. Uh, and this episode was also directed by Lawrence Trilling, who directed Episode 1 of this season of Agent Carter. So he stayed on board for the first two episodes. Uh, probably the reason why it was shown, shown as a pilot um, of the first first two episodes back-to-back in the U.S. being directed by the same person. They kind of do feel um, kind of part of a whole, really, uh, for myself. Uh, John, do you want to tell us what we got in this episode? Sure. Agent Peggy Carter still holds suspicions about isodyne energy as she meets with Wilkes to help her with her investigation. He is initially hesitant to turn on his employer, but is eventually persuaded to inform on isodyne, as he reveals that in an attempt to replicate the Manhattan Project, Isodyne had discovered a strange new phenomenon, and in doing so had also discovered zero matter. Unknown to the SSR, Chadwick is called to meet with a secretive council who shut down Isodyne energy due to its seemingly lack of results, and want him to focus on his political ambitions. Just as Isodyne is being closed down by the council, the SSR move on the company, as Peggy and Wilkes try to confiscate the new substance in Isodyne's basement. But little do they know that another has designs on this new zero matter. Thanks for that, John. The plot's certainly thick in this week. Big time. Yeah. Absolutely. Really good episode. Love the, uh, love knowing more about that black goo in, in uh, Isodyne's basement, basically. Um, and to obviously hear that it isn't dark matter, but zero matter. So whether that's just a play on, on the name or whether it is a whole new thing, uh, entirely, or whether I believe this might be someone else's point as well about uh, that dark goo. So I'm not going to go into it just yet. 
Right, Chris, what did you think overall? Uh, overall, I really enjoyed this one, I have to admit. Last episode, I did have some slight negatives of the pilot, and I suppose what really would have shown... It, it, this was really like a large two-hour one episode. Mm-hmm. I think that was kind of the way it was always meant to be shown. Um, the pacing was a lot better. Um, so I kind of think that if they had it shown them back-to-back, it would have been fantastic. So overall, this was really good. Mm-hmm. Couple of kind of questionable moments for me. Um, but I suppose that's what you get with 40 minute TV shows where we're used to now hour long TV shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yep. other than that, really enjoyed it and it kind of, it raised more questions than it answered, which was always a good thing for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially in the second episode. So really good. And I think it answered a few of your little questions from last week as well. So, uh, listeners, if this is your first time joining us for the second episode of Agent Carter season two, uh, the way we cover our episodes is each of us take five points that we have found of interest in the episode. They could be good points, could be bad points, could be Easter eggs, could be scenes. Uh, and we discuss them while discussing them. We hopefully will cover everything in the episode we want to talk about that we found interesting overall kicking us off this week i think we'll pass it over to chris do you want to give us your first point sounds good uh i'm actually going to go nowhere near the big standout 10 pieces from this episode um mm-hmm. what i actually wanted to do was I, I was really happy about the way the episode um dealt head on with the issues issues of wilkes being right. a black man working as a scientist in the 1940s mm-hmm. um and why he had loyalty to isodyne um being who he is um and why they were the only ones who give him a job and how he got the job. And, um, then just showing kind of the, the bakery scene. Yeah. Which yeah, was yeah, like, you, you forgot about that in a predominantly Caucasian show in season one. Mm. Um, that this was actually true. This was what kind of was going on in the 1940s, even in Lala and Hollywood. Reggie and Haley, I, I thought had great chemistry together. Definitely. It really did. And I think it was the only fact that the actor and actresses... So this is my slight negative, okay? Okay. They they had great chemistry, so they helped sell the fact that Peggy was so distraught by his apparent... What I'm calling an apparent death. Um, okay. At the yeah. end of the episode. Yeah. She's, she's known him what? Uh, less than a week, less than uh, two days, gone on yeah, one date with him. She calls it out, doesn't she? Yeah, she says, I've only known him a couple of days. I don't, why, why should it be this, this painful for me kind of thing? Yeah. 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 But I, like, Atwell just brought it. She delivered it fantastically, that part of the end. I think it was their chemistry that sold it to me that, okay, this could happen. Yeah. Um, especially even when, when she was driving, she's here trying to hold back the tears when Jarvis is driving her home. Um, and I, the tidbits of Peggy's youth or Peggy Carter's youth mm-hmm. when they're in the bar. Yep. Yep. Very cool, isn't it? To get a bit more backstory on Peggy. Very tiny amount. We just find, find out where she's from, really. Um, but yeah, yeah, I really liked this, this whole approach in the episode to your point, Chris. I think I have a, some similar, uh, notes that I took as, as, as I went along. Um, really loved the idea of confronting this head on because, you know, when you see these kind of shows, and particularly with with Peggy Carter, we knew she was getting a, a new love interest in season two. You see this really good-looking guy that's really into her. You see her being attracted to him, and you don't question it because if this happened at any other show, there wouldn't be a problem. But they do call out specifically that is kind of a problem. There will be people looking at them as a couple because he's a black man and she's a white woman. They're going to look at her, look at them uh, differently uh, than they would nowadays on any TV show. So it's really good that they called it out. 
uh, these kind of challenges that are there for other people. A lot of the big, I suppose, really interesting point about season one was seeing a woman trying to work in the workforce in the US. They've kind of dealt with that uh, throughout season one. So now they're trying to talk about some of the other issues that were going on in America at the time as well. I really like that choice. Yeah, I, I thought um, I thought this harked back to sort of Peggy in season one being, you know, a woman out of place and out of her time in relation to what she was doing and society not being there um, with her, you know, not at that same sort of moment in time or at that level. And, and I think here we, we're seeing that again here where she is, um, you know, potentially falling in love, at least developing a friendship mm-hmm. with um, a, a black man here, which would have been seen as unusual in the late 40s, early 50s during this time. And so it helps to put Agent Carter really accurately um, into sort of that social context um, at the time, which I think is really good because I think that was one of the big things um, of season one with, with Peggy in the SSR that I really liked. And mm-hmm. um, I think it also harks back to the point in season one as well, which is, you know, World War Two was a huge social leveler um, for anyone in society. You had uh, women who couldn't work suddenly working. Um, and then you hear Wilk's story about how, you know, he'd, he started off in, um, an orange grove working there, uh, picking oranges and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, but that he, you know, with the war effort, you know, was employed by the Navy to do science stuff. And, and that, um, after, uh, after the war, you know, he kind of was able at least to continue that with Einstein, even though, it, you know, he's saying he was very lucky to get that. But it's that idea that uh, war became a great leveler of the social spectrum, there, um, both either in the US, but also um, in Europe, where people who traditionally maybe were not seen as um, being able to work in certain professions or mm-hmm. whatever, were suddenly allowed to and were given that chance. And one of the problems was that after the war, you know, um, people expected that it would go back to the way it was before the war so I had that that kind of tension and i think uh, and i think definitely you're right chris like that the um wilkes and peggy thing of them getting to know one another was really good in this episode i absolutely really liked it i wonder whether um peggy's kind of um tears or her you know kind of fairly her sadness about you know where is Wilkes at the end as well isn't tied up somewhat maybe with Sousa um, and uh, what's happened there with the fact that he has uh, his new lady and obviously um, there was a big rock uh, involved in this episode with yeah. with, with the ring absolutely, absolutely so I wonder whether you know she's maybe feeling more emotional because well she feels like she's lost Sousa um, to um, his new uh, fiance and, and girlfriend, um, but also now Wilkes, who was maybe the new start or filling in for Sousa, is gone as well. So she's stuck with Jarvis, <laughs> and whilst she likes him, you know, he is married. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what a wife! What a wife! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and look, I, I just wanted to kind of close that this point off with, my God, those eclairs look delicious. <laughs> Come on. That mm. thing is the size of a fist. They are amazing. Well, you could not get that here. I'm like, oh, I was salivating going, I really want that now. Just the cream and the chocolate and uh-huh. the, 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 the dough. 
dough, pastry, whatever. Pastry. Yeah. Pastry. Yep. Yeah, I it think was, I, I think seeing Peggy take it and throw it on the ground, yeah, definitely made me want to just jump through the screen and yeah. grab it back off them. <laughs> well, five second rule. Five second yeah, rule. There you go. There you go. <laughs> um, yeah, my my first point is kind of connected uh, to this, and it is it's just kind of the point about Peggy finally getting her dance. Um, so really, one of the big moments in. Captain America, the first Avenger, is that Peggy is on the phone to Steve as he's crashing down, essentially saying, I'll meet you at the dance next week. Um, she never got that dance with Steve. Throughout season one, we hear comments about that dance and the, the fact that she never got to have that dance. In this for, in this episode, we do see her finally get her dance at Wilkes. I think it's part of, I suppose, kind of tied into her reaction to his apparent disappearance or his apparent death at the end of the episode. Um she do, she has now opened her heart up to a new man. This is the first time she's done that, really. She did pursue Sousa a little bit in the first season. There was a little bit of, um, I suppose, just a, a little bit of a meet-cute, I suppose, in the first season, I guess you'd call it, where both characters kind of were playing with each other's emotions a little bit, but they never really ended off with any major relationship there, and there was still that little bit of playfulness at the start of the season. But now with Wilkes, there definitely seems to be a lot more uh, a lot more going on there. She opens up to him. She gets the dance finally with him. And then at the end of the episode, he's put, ripped away from her. So, um, yeah, I think that's where the, all the emotion comes, comes in from her. Well, they do share a little kiss as well. They do. They More do. than a little kiss. It lingers for approximately five seconds, I think. I think it might. <laughs> <laughs> Why were you counting? No, I wasn't really. But I, I didn't see tongues. But you never know. That <laughs> would be improper for a lady like It would indeed. Would. It certainly and would. And I think that kind of moves me on to my point where certainly there would be no tongues involved. But this is again, uh, Peggy and, uh, Jarvis's relationship. But in particular, the tortoise of fury. Oh, yes. Um, I <laughs> loved this scene. Um, and in particular, not only the tortoise of fury, um, you know, we had ju- judoka, um, which I don't even know whether that is a thing. I thought Sudoka, um, mixed with judo is this kind of Jarvis's intellectual, uh, martial art or something or steady hand martial art. He's got his Queensbury rules. He's got his fencing, but I do really, really enjoy Peggy's, um, uh, final line. If you wouldn't mind slipping into something less athletic. Um, his uh, latter day lycra suit or whatever I don't know hemp suit that they may have had back in those days um, you know certainly uh, left nothing to the imagination (laughs) Um, I thought it was uh, I just thought it was really good you know you have the interaction again with Jarvis and his wife you have Peggy throwing him uh, onto the sort of the padded uh, floor and all that so, uh, like, this was really, uh, really good. And I think as well, this is continued with Mr. Starks's leisure car as well, which, um, again, just shows the rapport between the two and the fun. And I think, you know, this is an important part of Agent Carter, um, for me uh, and for each episode to have, uh, this little bit of humor, this little bit of banter between these two protagonists. Maybe not all the time, but at least some hint of it. I think it is, is, pretty good and i i think the the car scene where you know she pulls one of the the buttons or, or pushes a knob or something and the next thing she's flung back and it's oh good lord there's a mirror uh-huh. so you can only imagine 
Um, it, it is pent up sort of sexual frustration of the 40s, uh, late 40s coming out here. I think it's really cool. I think oh, it's yeah, very absolutely. good. Another great line from Anna Jarvis as the battle is going on between Peggy and, uh, and her husband where she goes, uh, he's always most dangerous when he's on his back. Uh, nice little, uh, nice little gag there from Anna, which I really enjoyed. Uh, and yes, the car scene was another one of my points. I absolutely loved it in itself. This was a scene we saw at New York Comic Con at the, uh, the Agent Carter presentation that was on at, at New York yes. Comic Con. Yeah. Uh, we saw a bit of this scene, but in its in its glory in the center of this episode, I think it works so well when you just effectively see that uh, Howard Stark has gotten his entire team of uh, of the Q branch of uh, of his own company working on gadgets to make sure that he has the best night out ever and can also get his car <laughs> brought home uh, the following morning. Really, really enjoyable scenes. Really good. Chris, any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's it's the it's the humor that this is why I love kind of Agent Carter as a whole. That mm-hmm. kind of camp humor, what Jarvis brings to it as a whole. Some people would think camp and derogatory. I think it's more just in that kind of nineteen early nineteen thirties kind of style of English butler esque type person. Yeah, uh, what Paul Bethany, who plays uh, Jarvis in the Iron Man films and the Avengers film, etc. Now Vision, it's that same kind of voice and tone. I would be interested to see if someone did a mega cut and took all the jokes out of Agent Carter. Would it work as well? Mm. I think this is an ingrained part of the show. And Jarvis is, uh, he, while being the comedic elements of who he is and kind of a lot of the slapstick elements, mm-hmm. I think we've seen him at kind of hardcore in season one when he kind of does a bit of the fighting. And I think this was just a kind of, this this will come back later on. Yeah. Yes, the judo coat. Yeah. It's kind of like it's he's going to end up back in a backed into a corner, and then all of a sudden he'll he'll do his what was it called again? The the tortoise of fury. Tortoise of fury. <laughs> I just love I just love hearing you say that. Say yeah, one more time. Absolutely, one more. Tortoise of fury. There you go. <laughs> Slow but deadly. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. Is it, is it Mathletics? Is that what he's doing? Mathletics, it could be, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, do you want to give us your next point? Okay, we've got uh, the big one. And this, well, my variation of the big one. I know we all have a point on it of some way and form, so let's just start it off. Mm-hmm. We meet the Ominous Council. Oh, yes. Um, mm. Which actually, and I'd like to say, Ray Wise is back. Woohoo! Yes. He's returning as Hugh Jones. Um, but yeah, so we see the Ominous Council, um, and basically we see the pin. And I just, oh, yes. I, I want to get thoughts, people. Yeah, I want to absolutely. hear every bit. I had a lot of thoughts and kind of where my head was going. Mm-hmm. But additionally, um, about a week ago and a week and a half, there was an article in Entertainment Weekly with the two showrunners. Um, uh, specifically, Michelle came out. Michelle Faz. Michelle Fazekas. Yeah. She's c- come out and talked about it. So before we get into what the article says, okay, I want to. I'm gonna get each of your thoughts, and then I'm gonna give my thoughts, and then we'll go into the article. Yeah, absolutely. Well, firstly, my my big thought was I'm f- I loved the idea of bringing back Ray Wise in here. So Ray Wise, for those of you who don't know the name, the the actor uh, played Leland Palmer on. 
Twin Peaks, but more notably for Agent Carter, was in season one as the head of Roxxon Oil Corporation, uh, uh, the oil corporation that is seen all across the Marvel Cinematic Universe, all across, I think pretty much every show has had some, or every movie in every show has had some mention of Roxxon Oil, and this is the head of the 1940s version of it. So really interesting to have him planted on the council right there. That's a really nefarious group if they have the head of the biggest oil company, which is probably quite nefarious in itself, uh, sitting at that table, putting out his candle uh, in in this great moment of of the t- of that whole group getting together and making a decision without Calvin Chadwick's uh, knowledge at all. They've all made this decision without him. I love this idea. I love I love this behind closed doors gentlemen's club. Uh, where they're making big decisions for the world. It's it's really interesting. It's like the Illuminati kind of idea as well. Uh, yeah, really the reverse it. evil Illuminati. Exactly. Not the Marvel Universe Illuminati filled of heroes who do despicable things as well. <laughs> I know, I, but it's all for the greater good. Yes. Yeah. The greater good. I don't think these guys are doing greater good. Don't think so, no, somehow. Greater bad. <laughs> John? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't really know too much about the council, if I'm absolutely honest. Um, I thought it was nice to see, uh, head of Roxon come back, um, from that side of it. Um, I still wonder whether is it some element of another nefarious organization, whether it be AIM or Hydra. Um, but for me, the biggest thing was the pin, actually. Um, so you saw it um, in the council chamber where they were all meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly right at the start then of Agent Carter this this week, you saw a close-up of that pin. And for me, that did look exactly like an earlier version of the shuttle logo from the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And that's why I kind of mention HYDRA uh, in the same breath. And um, whether that is to be the case, I don't know. But like, I like that kind of link. And, and for me, the pin really did seem like that. I mean, I jotted it down because obviously, Chris, you had mentioned it last week. So I, I thought, well, yeah, no, this definitely seems to be that from, from what I could see. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it still remains to be seen. But nonetheless, I, I, I kind of think so. Yes. Yeah, so the one, the one show we don't cover here on Defenders TV podcast is Agents of Shield. And we've noticed a few connections between particularly this episode and last week's episode and Agents of Shield season three. So what you're speaking about, John, in case some of our listeners don't know Agents of Shield or haven't seen it, uh, one of the big reveals of the first half of season three. Sorry, kids, spoilers. Um, but that effectively, um, that there is a connection between a program that sent a, an astronaut off to the moon. Their symbol actually has a transform, a kind of transforms or evolves into the Hydra logo. And it's determined that this logo has been going back generations, uh, decades, millennia, really, um, to the earliest versions of Hydra all the way up to the present day version of the Hydra symbol, I suppose. So, uh, but definitely one of those points in the evolution of that logo looks very similar to the, to the logo for this uh, this crew, if you want to call it a logo, the symbol for this crew. Symbol, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so really interesting that there's this connection. There's another one that we will probably talk about a little later in the episode as well. Yeah, no, no, look, I'm sitting both of you guys. This is exactly the these, as soon as I saw this, as soon as I properly saw it, I'm like, oh, so it's some kind of weird kind of World Security Council type thing. Straight away... Again, just the logo, I'm like, okay, it's a world security thing with Hydra members? Mm-hmm. Question mark? So the weird part is they say uh, this group was kind of responsible for the Great Depression. Right, yeah. So 
but we know Hydra was pretty much formed in Germany or in certain parts of the world with the Red Skull in World War Two. Hmm. So that's like, oh, it can't be Hydra. No, we don't know that now, Chris. Exactly. So the... I'm going, ah, okay, well, look, we think it's Hydra. I, that's where I, I was betting, oh my God, if I had better black, I'm like, get, I'm going red, it's all Hydra. This yeah. is what it is. Yeah, so one, one of the elements in the, in the S.H.I.E.L.D. episode is that they specifically call out that uh, Hydra was not created in this world by Red Skull. He took the ideas of an organization called Hydra and enhanced them in the Marvel TV universe. Yeah, so, um, so I think you were right to put all your chips in, but it doesn't seem like the article from EW is saying the same thing, does it? No, and this killed me. This absolutely kills me. <laughs> so, in this article, uh, the showrunner, Michelle, uh, already con- confirms that this is not Hydra. Ooh, okay. But Interesting. F- yeah, and in fact references the Council of Nine, and it, it's their version of the Secret Empire from Marvel Comics Universe. Okay, interesting. Okay. So she kind of goes on around, like, so the big A is an actual, it's called the Arena Club. Okay. That's what the A is about. That's where they meet. Right. And the Council of Nine is the secret is the secret empire. Now, in the comic book universe, Secret Empire was a sh- offshoot of the originally an like a kind of mafia money laundering businessman offshoot of Hydra. Okay. Fought right. Cap and the Cap kind of side of the Shield universe for years. Yeah. Yeah. But she goes, it's not Hydra. It's the secret empire. And right. I'm like, nope, I'm calling it fake. This was just, I know it's EW and I know she says it. No. Michelle Fasekas and Tara Butters, you are pulling our legs. <laughs> but even if there's, yeah. even if it's true what they're saying, they are allowing scope for someone else to say this needs to be connected to Hydra. And there's a teensy wincy bit there that still links it to Hydra with it being sort of one of the heads of Hydra. In this case, maybe the financial or money laundering part of it. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I'm thinking. I'm going. Yeah. yeah. So th- there's a way out there to link it in. I-, I hope it is that that is the connection and that they're just calling a bluff here, yeah. sort of a clever bluff and 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 a, and a meaningful one. Um, to get speculation. Yeah, it may just be the Council of Nine and the Arena. But, I mean, Arena just sounds so, like, meh. So, hopefully, it is um, Hydra. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm going, look, this is a bluff. This is uh, to throw people off the scent. Like, we've all seen the pain and whatever. Like, anyone who watches multiple series or of the of the Marvel Cinematic Universe will go, oh, that looks familiar from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. Like, there is a scene in there where Fitz and Simmons are basically going through the chronological uh, creation from like early 1700s all the way up to the kind of modern day yeah. Hydra and I am I'm going like there that is definitely in there I yeah, it I'm, has to be. It, I well, yeah. it looks too much the one just before the shuttle launch it looks exactly like uh, or the NASA launch one looks exactly like the A on this and I'm going yeah I'm calling this is a bluff yeah. they basically Someone kind of guessed it too early. Like, they kind of think, oh, we actually gave away this too early, so let's run a bluff and go, no, 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 it's a secret empire. 
the secret. And unless you really know the deep, 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 deep kind of lore of the secret empire, mm-hmm. you're not going to get that it was originally. Now, it's not even connected to Hydra anymore. Yeah. In any more of the recent comics. It was just back in when Stanley and the boys were creating Cap. That was where it came from. Right. It has some connection, essentially. And I suppose this particular encounter with the council does end off sending Calvin Chadwick off to pursue the, to pursue uh, becoming a senator, doesn't it? So effectively, they're looking to instate someone that's in their pocket into a very high position, much like Hydra did by putting people into shield and putting people into the government and uh, Hydra being everywhere. So it's very likely that if it's not Hydra in this universe, there is a there is a, an easy way to connect it in, as as John mentioned. Definitely, um, I wonder if we're going to see a lot more of them. Uh, are we going to are, are they the big bad of the season? We know that Whitney Frost obviously is going to be really involved uh, throughout the rest of the season, and they're at odds with her. Uh, she is put at odds with them in this episode by uh, the program being cancelled in in Isodine Energy. So um, that'll be quite interesting. Whether we're going to see a huge amount more of them, or whether we'll just move off the focus. After Whitney Frost, they've laid this as as a foundation overall, and maybe we won't see much more of them uh, for the rest of the season. But interesting, though, and great to connect it with season one. Yeah, I I, I think these guys are going to be the puppet master, the true puppet master. Right. We're going to see Whitney Frost. She's going to try and infiltrate, or because she knows she's well aware of the 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 council. Mm-hmm. So we're made aware of that. So I say she's going to. She is the big bad, but she's going to take control somehow or infiltrate them somehow or something like that. I think these are the two, these are our two big baddies. Yeah. Yeah. And I think now it's what do they do with them and what do they actually name them? That's a different story. (laughs) Absolutely. And finally, like I was just kind of wondering whether, you know, when, um, Chief Thompson and, his friend from the FBI are talking about powerful friends and even more powerful allies. Given that the FBI are suddenly waltzing in and taking that pin and Dottie, is it these guys who are the powerful men or are these the guys who are the more powerful allies? Right. As well. You know, are the, so again, about this idea of the big bad, is it, these guys mm-hmm. or is the the more powerful allies still to be revealed right yeah 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 very good point um, and are are they suddenly going to be connected given that they're obviously trying to place someone in uh, the senate that they've already placed someone in the newly formed fbi um and they're just essentially recovering their stuff for them yeah, absolutely the things that could expose them right as we know it's all connected john it is. And I think with that, that's on to my next point. And it's a bit of a, a rocks on point as well. But this time it kind of links into, um, you know, it ain't dark matter. It's zero matter. That should be the name of a song. It ain't dark matter. It's zero matter. <laughs> yeah. There's some techno beats then or some real like sort of. Wait, hold on. Street I'm, music. I'm going to lay it down. Yeah. <laughs> but I definitely am going, okay, so it's not dark matter. Maybe the zero matter is something completely different. Or um, it is um, just another name for it or another iteration on it. But there's certainly three things that I absolutely uh, love about it. One is the link back to Roxxon. When they showed the old footage of it being created, 
Mm-hmm. And it then imploded and sucked in all the vehicles and so on, which I think was what happened at the Roxxon plant. That's exactly what happened. At so, the Roxxon plant, yeah. you know, there's the link back to, to season one as well. Mm-hmm. Secondly, again, going back to your first point, Chris, the fact this is the nuclear age. This is where people are, you know, the start of the Cold War. This is where people are, you know, and um, the zero sum game of, of mutual self assured mutual destruction with your nuclear arsenals and all this kind of stuff. The fact that it's created or discovered um, more to the point in the the nucleus of a nuclear experiment um, to replicate the Manhattan Project, I absolutely love. I love that idea. Yeah. Um, it really appeals to the kind of the historian buff uh, in me. Um, so that was really, really cool. And then just thirdly was at the end there with the 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 face fisher uh on frost's face uh the the three f's frost fisher and face and oh, yeah. um, where she seems to have that that scar on her temple which was kind of the same scar that or fisher that you saw um in that old film footage so so almost like she's absorbed this this dark matter or in in that very cool explosion that happened in the basement of Isodyne energy. She has kind of been um, affected or, or wounded or scarred by it. And she's now, I don't know. It also reminded me slightly of Dr. Who with the, the fissure in time, the, mm-hmm. the, the crack in time, crack I should time. say. So um like, I loved this. Um, I thought this was a really nice bit. And I love that old film footage as well. The way they did it. I thought that was pretty, pretty cool as well. Um So, that that's my point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. That was a that was a, an excellent uh, reveal of zero matter. I know it is different from what we were talking about last week with the dark force. Um, it was slightly different from that, but but obviously they've never experienced it before. They've come to name it, uh, and they've named it zero matter. I, I, again, I totally agree with you. I love the idea that this company is trying to make money off creating nuclear weapons, and this is what they've come up with as a replacement for. The Manhattan Project. I think they mention, um, I think they mentioned Fat Man or Little Boy, which I believe are the Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombs that were yeah. dropped, um, yeah. during the war. Uh, lovely little touches there to connect it all with the universe that's going on around World War II, uh, as well. So really, yeah, really, really interesting. And I love this idea. Really cool to see a, an element created by a scientific, uh, organization being used in the show to be such a huge, a huge moment and potentially the creation of Whitney Frost's alter ego, uh, which I'm really excited to see. Exactly. And we see that, you know, the men, the vehicles were sucked into the implosion, haven't been seen again since. Mm-hmm. Maybe they showed up on one of those planets uh, that we saw in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So, like, this is, you know, everything connected. I'm loving the idea because this episode for me seemed to suggest that Agent Carter is immensely connected in a Doctor Who-type fashion uh, across space and time. Yes. Yeah. That was actually one of my points. That last glimpse we got of Whitney mm-hmm. Cross with the, the kind of... That scar that's being slowly opened up with the Dark Force. And that's the thing. Did it seem to you guys like it was pulsating and kind of like ripping? Yeah. yeah. So I'm wondering if that's going to... Do we call her Madame Mask now? 
Can we call her that? <laughs> Can we? Are we allowed to? Yeah, it's kind of, she has to, she's becoming disfigured in the face. Interesting, she's, yeah. Yes, so just, again, for the listeners who may not be aware, there is a, a Whitney Frost's alter ego is Madame Mask, uh, who has been slightly disfigured uh, in the comic books version of the character. Um, so, yes, so this could be the creation of that version of uh, of Whitney Frost, which is quite cool, really interesting creation of the character, if uh, if you ask me. Can I ask, have they confirmed that in the, has the showrunners or any of the writers or anything confirmed that Whitney Frost in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is Madame Mask? Yes. Yes, they have. In fact, they, um, they released the character name as Whitney Frost, aka, uh, Madame Mask. So. Okay. Uh, so we can talk about it. Excellent. Okay. <laughs> Grand. So potentially this is what I, I, I'm going to find really interesting. And I want to see this kind of origin of Madame Mask because in the comic books, um, she, she was kind of like the, the daughter of a big mafia, mafios, or the, I think it's the mafia, mafia, <laughs> uh, which is, no, it's, a, I think there's an extra F or something. It's Marvel comic book universe's version of the mafia. Right. She's right. the daughter of the head honcho. She has no superhuman powers, but she's a, she's, she's genius level kind of intellect. She's a weapons expert, scientific, but she's also raised by, this kind of mafia like family mm-hmm. and um she's kind of always in control while she's doing a bit of puppetry master in the back in the background so i'm kind of going that plays into our council of nine she's right. taking it over with becoming the the head honcho or that kind yeah. of thing but yeah. i want to see what you guys thought yeah, no, very interesting. That'd um, be cool idea. Yeah, I know she in the comic book she was always seen as kind of a uh, a very a very opposite what would have happened to Iron Man if he had had all that privilege and had turned bad because she's backed up by tons of money, uh, much like Iron Man is in in the comics. So uh, so she's seen as they they had a relationship, I believe, Tony Stark and uh, and Whitney Frost. Yeah. So there there is a there is a very common ground between the two of them, and and one of those kind of I suppose. Batman Joker type of things. It's, it's a similar kind of two sides to the same coin, which is, uh, could he have gone bad at some point, uh, if he'd gone down her path kind of idea. So be really interesting. I think they're probably going to play on the lines and actually leading into my next point about Whitney Frost. I think you kind of mentioned it earlier on uh, a little bit, John, but, um, the parallel I think they're going to bring into the show this season is going to be about the parallel between uh, Peggy Carter and Whitney Frost and we see a little bit of that in this episode here where uh, effectively even though she's a very famous Hollywood actress very well known she's being treated as poorly as Peggy was in the SSR by the director of her of her brand new film who's essentially uh, calls out uh, to her that she's starting to get some wrinkles around the eyes uh, thought she looked younger than that gives out to one of his lighting guys saying I thought you knew how to light older actresses which is you can see the anger on Whitney Frost's face building up uh, as if she believes her career is far better than this and shouldn't be treated like this by some some dumb uh, dumb director. I think in a in a lesser show, she probably would have pulled out a gun at that point and taken him out. Um, but I, I wanted to give him a slap myself anyway. Well, I, I, yeah, I suspect Madame Mask will... Um, hunt him down? Yeah, hunt him down <laughs> and slap him uh, across the face and maybe just kill him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, that, that, that was an interesting thing because it, 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 it seemed as well that like she was just having a horrendous time. I yeah. think, I think from episode one, because she was there at the races and that's how we were introduced to her. And she was obviously, you know, with, 
the senator to be Calvin uh, Chadwick, you kind of thought she was probably not going to be treated like that in the slightest. And to see that was kind of quite a shock. Mm -hmm. So um, it was an interesting thing, I thought, to to show. Um, And obviously, it's probably going to sort of reflect back with whatever she becomes and transforms uh, with this with this Fisher now in terms of the Madame Mask. So yeah, yeah, that would be really cool. Absolutely. And again, so he's dead, basically. The, the, (laughs) The, the nightmare the director. director is dead. Absolutely. Yeah. But again, bringing it back to Calvin Chadwick, coming back to her and telling her, well, the council turned down our plan. We're shutting down, uh, Isodyne. Uh, your whole plan of, of doing zero matter is not going to, not going to come off. Um, again, she's being talked down to, even though she's the one wearing the pants in the relationship. She looks like she gives in, but you can tell again in her eyes that she, uh, is not going to take this line down. And, and that's why she goes for the zero matter at the end of the episode. She's a very active character in the show. She's definitely not a passive little lady like they're all treating her uh, throughout the episode. No, which, absolutely. But she does have a pretty bad episode this time. There's a lot of people pushing her down. And you wonder if, if she, since she doesn't have, I suppose, the values of Peggy Carter, is that the reason why she's pushing back and is become going to become the villain of the show? So uh, really interesting to see these parallels. Uh, I do also want to jump in and say thanks so much for one of our followers and one of our listeners over on Twitter. Thanks to US TV Addict for pointing out my little gaffe in last week's episode where I mentioned that Whitney Frost is based on Rita Hayworth. She absolutely isn't. Rita Hayworth has absolutely nothing to do with the character. That was totally my note-taking gone wrong. Uh, The character is based on the actress Hedy Lamarr. Everything else I said last week was totally true. Hedy Lamarr was a very famous actress in the 40s who was a scientist uh, and kind of hid that side of herself from the public eye, but invented some very well-known uh, inventions, things like Wi-Fi uh, that we all use today and are using right now. Uh, so a huge apology and a huge thank you to uh, to our listener there for, for pointing out my little gaffe. Uh, total mistake in me notes, but thanks for that. And with that, John, do you want to give us your next point? Yeah, um, I suppose as well, it's, you know, obviously seeing the interaction that has happened between Whitney Frost and, and uh, Zero Matter. I come to Zero Matter Part 2, um, which is, you know, where is Wilkes? Wilkes is gone. He's there down, uh, seemingly like those, those shuttles that you put all the money in from the till and he chucks one of those up. It sucks around, picks up the dark, sorry, picks up the Zero Matter brings it back, he's confronted by Whitney Frost, you get that really cool kind of like dark explosion that mm-hmm. happens uh, at Isodyne. Um but then Wilkes is seemingly gone, like so my point here is, is he gone? In terms of dead gone? Is he gone in terms of, is he in Whitney Frost's forehead? Um, <laughs> is he gone in terms of he is on this other planet um, that we're seeing in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. at the moment? Has he been torn into another realm, another plane or, or, or something like that? Or is, you know, is he hiding? Has he just kind of gone to ground or something like that? I mean, what do you think? I mean, for me, I would be surprised if he's dead, but I am suggest he's maybe gone were all the army personnel and vehicles have gone as well and have been kind of sucked in uh, to uh, whatever is through that fissure mm-hmm. um, and, you know, via Whitney Frost's forehead. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I was wondering one of the same things too. But again, for those of our listeners who don't watch Agents, or Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, we were discussing last week, remember, that we think this 
the the zero matter is probably this looked very similar to the obelisk in its liquid form in Agents of Shield. Mm-hmm. That turned out to be a portal to another world slash dimension universe. We're not quite sure, but they people got stuck there. So we do know that the actor uh, who plays Wilkes is in the show for the whole season. Um, and that, that was a little gaffe that again was made with uh, during one of his interviews. And so I think that's kind of, for me, that's kind of said he's not going to have kind of been sucked into this ultimate universe or been kind of something like that. He's still around. Yeah. Whatever that means, that be yeah. it. I, I don't know. I, I, is he going to be powered or like disfigured or? Or have the evil worm in him. Exactly, exactly. Uh, I just don't know. I think he's going to be there for this year. He could be our big bad. You never know. Yeah. You never know. I, I presume, at the very least, whatever's happened to Whitney has happened to him. Or, to John's point, the one thing that was definitely in my head was, what if he's in her head? <laughs> that was very much suddenly going, uh-oh, what happens if the two of these guys have merged together with the with the power of zero matter? They've that that's been incorporated into her, and he's now cool. inside. Um, that would be you know, cool. That would be kind of interesting to, I, to have I this character have... that was lovely in the first two episodes suddenly being part of Whitney Frost, who's supposed to be our big bad for the series. I have no idea whether that's possible. It would be marvelous. I mean, yeah. Bump, clank. The, the, the big worm obviously is again reference to Agents of Shield. Anyone who isn't watching yeah. Agents of Shield, so do apologize for that. Um, and that is, um, that's kind of evil, um, wormifies or something, uh, and it can take <laughs> over different hosts. Um, but again, that would be cool that he's merged with Whitney Frost and become like sort of Quato from like Total Recall. Yeah. So maybe like she'll open up her blouse and there'll be this like little kind of Quato thing from Total Recall. Yeah, like his head is sticking out of her yeah. stomach or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That'd be great. <laughs> and if anyone wondering what reference, watch Total Recall. The original. Fantastic. Paul Van Hoven, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Automatic Taxis, um, you know, two weeks. Um, you watch it, it'll be, it'll change your life. Great soundtrack as well. Uh, but with that, um, and with five kids to feed, Chris, what is, uh, your next point? This is actually my final point because we've talked a lot. I wanted to reference something you came back with or talked about earlier in that, uh, Sosa's new girlfriend mm-hmm. is on the scene. Violet. Yes, Violet. Now, this is me just getting throwing in. Oh my, where my head went straight away. Obviously, I, I, I've, I've been bad romances or had both bad romances throughout my life. <laughs> but, um, basically I, I saw this and she immediately clicked with Peggy. And okay, obviously, who wouldn't enjoy talking with Peggy? Of course. But like, like beautiful British accent. Exactly. But then like the assistant Rose, she, she's not fooled and neither was I. I'm like going, Oh, this is like, well, hold on. I suppose I had two points there, and I'm going to kind of separate them out. The first one is, I find it really suspicious. Violet is suddenly so much in love with Sosa. And then as soon as she meets Peggy, wants to jump in and become best friends with her. Right. So I'm like, I'm in my head, I'm going, oh, it's another Dottie. Shit. Okay. It's another <laughs> so Dottie. you're now having the experience I had last week in our first episode, where just hearing about him having a girlfriend makes me want to go, she's evil. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's where I'm going. She's evil. Nope, she's bad. 
And I, it's just, I don't know. I really, it was more when I saw her in this episode and saw how she friendly she got. Cause Carter's no, she's secret service, but in the wrong, or she's a secret agent, but in certain circles, she's well known. Mm-hmm. She was with Captain America, for God's sakes. Yeah. Like she, yeah, she's not absolutely. that secret. So as soon, I'm assuming, I'm calling, and I don't know if I'm right, that Violet is some kind of double agent again. And was told to get in bed with Sosa, kind of like, get it, get in bed. Anyway. <laughs> like, <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, and now that she saw Peggy, she's like, okay, best chance ever to get kind of not into bed with Peggy. I think she's going to, she was told probably to kind of befriend Peggy mm-hmm. and get very close. And then with Sosa and his ring, I'm like, oh no, his heart's going to be broken. Yeah, I think so. No, no, go on. Go with your point. I will. Uh, I will. Okay. Be talking about. So, then I also kind of went. Okay, I'm going with uh, Rose's point that she's like, that you're not. You're not in love with her. You're still in love with Peggy. Kind of like don't be a big fool. Kind of like she says this to him in some in kind of paraphrasing, obviously. But so I don't think he then. I think he's going to try and marry her. He's going to go ahead with the kind of engagement. Episode 8, we get a kind of big shock reveal that she, she's not going to be a dotty from that same place, but she's probably going to be like from the Council of Nine sent in to spy on or the FBI's to spy on the SSR. I think I just don't trust any other women bar Peggy in this universe. <laughs> it's just like I see them, and I'm like, Angie. evil, evil. And Angie from season one. I'm still waiting for Angie to come back. Oh, uh, yeah. And Rose. One rose. There's a few. But, okay, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> but for me, this, this episode definitely took back my, my idea from last week that, uh, that Violet could possibly be an evil woman. Um, because I now see her as the girlfriend of, of Sousa that is going to have her heart broken when she realizes that the man she spent all this time getting to know, the man who was close to proposing to her actually is just in love with a woman that he thought he wouldn't see again. Uh, he's now been hooked back up with her. There's that whole moment when Violet asks, is everything okay? And Susan goes, yes, of course it is. Peggy's safe. Oh, I mean, yeah, everything's okay. Um, Susan's whole intention was to save Peggy this episode, not to, uh, not to find the zero matter, not to uncover the whole plot. It was all about saving Peggy and making sure she was okay still. So, um, so I think there's a lot more going on there. And I think that that relationship between Violet is much more, or what we see of Violet in this episode is much more to show that she is ge- a genuine, lovely person. Um, but that's because my opinion has flipped in one episode from seeing her for, for five, five seconds thinking she's evil to now seeing her for an episode and going, no, actually she's lovely. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, my thoughts are definitely still out on Violet, but I did think it was very telling um with Sousa when he realizes that Peggy's in danger. Like, you know, he is like, you know, gloves are off and um, look warrant or no warrant. Uh, it's uh, the end of playing nice guys with Isodan and he, he goes all out to, to go and find a rescuer. So, I mean, in one way, I think it's either going to be that Violet gets a broken heart or that, she isn't what she seems, so we don't really care anyway. And so we want him to, you know, sweep uh, Peggy Carter off her feet uh, and, you know, again, maybe do a 10-second kiss. Nice. I think we've talked about all my points on this so far. John, do you have a final point to go through? 
Yes, I have the sock on a doorknob, um, <laughs> which is most definitely the, you know, one of the tracking devices that we see in that car scene, along with, I hasten to add, the emergency champagne and glasses, which was, is, you know, any fitting accessory for a, a leisure car. Yeah. Um, have that, my favorite punter. <laughs> Um, that this all comes in to help, you know, uh, Sousa then sort of, uh, track down and Jarvis track down, uh, Peggy Carter in trouble at Isodyne Energy. I love the fact that one of these devices for Howard Stark's own personal pleasure or leisure car, um, is, is now being used to, to help essentially, you know, get get the bad guys so I, I like that um you absolutely know, they could maybe shine the the mirror that's on the the roof of the car into the baddies eyes so you know <laughs> uh, disorientate them in in some way um or you know celebrate the champagne afterwards absolutely so i thought that was a really nice little connection to um the the sock on a doorknob yeah and i love that it's uh it goes off as jarvis is chasing bernard stark again the flamingo running around the the front garden of uh, of the Stark mansion, and Anna shouts out the window, we've got a sock on the door, we've got a sock on the door. I just think it's a nice, a good little gag for quite a serious moment. Uh, really, really good. Chris, do you have any notes on this episode? Yeah, it's less of a note, but I, can't, again, I don't want to belabor the point about uh, Whitney Frost, but I'm kind of wondering, because she's kind of unpowered in... The, the comic books. She's, mm-hmm. she's more super genius, kind of a, an amazing strategist, uh, technology, uh, that kind of thing. Very much mm-hmm. a, a Tony Stark type character. Do you think now that they've, they're kind of doing this 1940s variation of her where she'll be something to do with the zero matter, are they going to power her up? I'm, yeah, I'm interested in that. I'm wondering if they're, if I know this is going to, Again, what I think our listeners really do enjoy hearing is us get things completely wrong. So here's another one to mark in the book. Um, I'm wondering if this zero matter will turn Madame Mask into someone who can almost shapeshift, who can also almost change her face uh, to suit certain situations. She certainly can't act with a huge scratch on her head. Uh, with dark matter coming out of it, she got, uh, it was commented on about having lines in her face because of the lighting in her room. She definitely won't be able to walk on set the following day with a, with a black mark down her head. So I'm wondering if she'll be able to heal that back up to make her face look slightly different if needed in certain situations, which would open up huge possibilities, uh, for the rest of the series of the show. That's, that's kind of my thought. If she was to be powered, that's something I think would be quite cool to have a bit of a shape-shifting character in there. Scroll possibly. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think, self, Chris? Yeah, no, I, 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 that's where my head was going. Shapeshifting, right. some kind of disguise ability, because the, 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 what I loved about season one was seeing Peggy take down someone who was powered, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to see her do that again. Yeah. That's what yeah. the SSR were good at. And again, it all leads into my wackadoo theory that she's going to somehow take control of the, the Council of Nine. So she kind of takes her husband's spot or another mm-hmm. council member's spot or she kind of b- becomes Peggy for a couple of hours and wanders into the SSR, that kind of thing. It's, yeah. I think that's we exactly. I think she'll have the ability to change her face and her, her, her face. She just had to put on some hair. Mm-hmm. But I think that again, that's why I don't think they'll leave an unpowered version in the universe when you've just given her the chance to 
can, they, in theory, she could do anything. We have no idea what dark no matter idea. is or zero yeah. matter is. We have no idea whether that that particular thing that we saw at the end of the episode is that Whitney Frost or is that dark matter in the shape of Whitney Frost. We don't know that. Yeah. You know, that could be a possibility as well. Yeah. Yeah. Really interesting stuff. Uh, I've got just one note on this episode, and it just harkens back to our discussion last week about the uh, the office at the SSR uh, and what they were going to do with it. Uh, did you notice the little gag they threw in there this week for you, Chris? And did you like it? Uh, oh. So as Susan comes out to the front of the office, he talks to Rose and says, what's that clown doing over there? <laughs> I did not like this one bit. Oh, I thought this was hilarious. <laughs> I can't even recount it without uh, without laughing. What's that clown doing over there? And you see a clown crying in the corner. <laughs> and he's told that uh, the the clown is learning a lesson in rejection. <laughs> I think that's brilliant. No, I told you this is what they're gonna do every episode. <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna run out of puntastic puns uh, very quickly. Lindsay Allen, if you're listening, and Derek Pearson, if you're listening, thank you so much for another great <laughs> gag in the uh, in the front office. Keep doing those ones. Um, yeah, le- less of the dancing girls, more of the uh, more of the comedy cutaways. Uh, comedy like. cutaways of crying clowns. Yeah. There you go. There I want to see like the lion tamer. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're gonna. You're gonna. Like, as I said last week, they're gonna end up having a dancing monkey. This is where it is going, people. If I, it's building up to that, we'll we'll take it, right? I'll take a dancing monkey, but that's yeah. it. If it's a lion tamer who's using a very small kitten, that would also be hilarious. But to twist on it as well would be excellent so that, you know, a, a ridiculous person comes in to audition and it ends up being someone that essentially pulls down the LA office of the SSR. Or maybe it's Dottie Underwood in disguise once she's escaped from or New Angie. York. Or Angie comes in, so that I reckon you could you could play with it, but then also make it into a crucial moment um, where the SSR becomes vulnerable mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, or to see you know old faces from season one like Angie, which would be quite cool, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or I'd, li- I'd like to maybe see them have something like a person that's trying out was a famous actor in the 50s or something and they tell him that he's a terrible actor. Something like that. I think that would be quite, quite a cool little use of it. But we'll see. So basically, I think my little note there is that uh, we've seen it now twice in two episodes. So I think we might be seeing it more throughout the rest of the episodes of the season. Uh, John, do you have any notes in the episode? I do. Um, I loved Wilkes' line um, to uh, Peggy Carter when they're in the Dunbar Hotel where, you know, he is um, going to spill the beans on Ice Design to an extent. But he does have this really great line that he goes, before I risk my life and career, I want to get to know the woman whom I'm going to speak to, you know, essentially trust my life to. Um, because it wasn't easy to get this job after the war. Um, and, you know, he, I think he talks about corporate lawyers at Isodyne talking about treason uh, and being hanged and all this kind of stuff. So, um, I just thought it was a, a pretty special line from, from the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's just something that to call, uh, on something that you had said about the, the relationship between Calvin and Whitney. Um, and I kind of like that tension between them that they had where, okay, Calvin Chadwick has sort of, accepted that Isodyne is going to get closed down, but she, you know, you can see she does not want the Zero Matter um, to be, um, that project to be cancelled. Um, and it, it shows even more when she says to Wilkes as they face off uh, over the dark, uh, sorry, over the Zero Matter, 
is that I'm the only person who knows what it's capable of. So, like, speaking to her sort of more uh, than absolute adequate scientific uh, knowledge and skills and research that she has, uh, maybe she's even hiding that from Calvin. Yeah, so I think there's a bit of tension between the two of them, which I, I thought was really good to see in this episode too. Yeah, But I think with that, Chris, do you defend this episode of Agent Carter? I do defend this episode of Agent Carter. Aside from the crying clown. <laughs> um, no, I do. I, again, the, the, my only negative, again, it's not even a negative, it's just the viewing order we got was mm-hmm. that basically that this felt like this a part two of a series premiere. Again, yeah. it answered so many questions that in theory should she should hopefully seen back to back and then um laid out a whole load more. Uh but it's, again it's it's great. They're setting up a potentially fantastic another eight episodes where we're gonna end up potentially with a Hydra star type council, Madame Mask, uh, the dark dark I keep calling it dark matter. I'm gonna call it dark matter throughout this whole season. I'm sorry. <laughs> and it's dark force, zero matter. But you're combining the two, so yeah, it's okay. it's just... I think we've all been saying dark yeah. matter, and yeah, it's at this stage it's interchangeable. Yeah, exactly. From, from now on, it's interchangeable. Okay. If we say dark matter, we actually mean zero matter. Or if we say dark or dark, or dark, dark force. force or dark force, yeah. yeah, it's pretty. I'm going. It's all the same. <laughs> but no, I really, I have to admit, I really enjoyed this episode. Um, it, it touched on again. It's nice to see Marvel touching on 1940s prejudice. Mm-hmm. In a kind of way that you don't, we kids wouldn't even know that they were seeing this until they went, why, why, why did, what does that mean? They'd actually question it. Like, we wouldn't bat an eyelid now to a black gentleman or, and a white woman kissing. Not a thing. But back then it would have been huge. And they, yeah, yeah. like most shows would have not called it out. They called it out and made a fair point of it. Uh, I've already talked about the council, and then Whitney, 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 Whitney. Yeah. Um, it was fantastic. But I also, I'm closing with saying, I don't trust Violet. Okay. <laughs> dun dun dun. On oh, next week's episode of, we don't trust Violet. <laughs> that would be an amazing show. I just from <laughs> the name alone, I'm like, yep, yeah, I like it. <laughs> So, Derek, do you defend this episode of Agent Carter? Yes, I absolutely defend this episode. This was the most Marvel-filled episode we've had. It it's really does feel like much more of a comic book show last season did feel, obviously, really good, and I absolutely loved it, but it felt like um, the character of Peggy Carter from the movies got her own spin-off show. This feels like the character of Agent Carter from the comic books has now got her comic book show, um, which I'm really enjoying. I'm, I'm enjoying the touches. And again, I said it last week that this is a nice break from Jessica Jones. Now I'm just involved in the show already. Uh, if we'd seen these episodes back to back, as Chris mentioned, um, it would have felt like a real good kickoff for the show. It would have felt like now we're back in here. I think our, our point last week was this was like a nice warm blanket getting back with our friends and getting back with the family of the Agent Carter universe. Uh, by having these two episodes back to back, um, it probably would have felt like you're back in the universe of Agent Carter and you're able to experience a big adventure with them. I loved everything we got in this episode. I loved a new relationship starting off at Wilkes, although it may have ended badly. Um, I loved Jarvis and Peggy's interplay at the beginning of the episode. Still loads of fun. I loved seeing Bernard back uh, as well. Great fun. 
Um, so much stuff going on again and so much stuff set up with the council with Whitney Frost and how bad is she going to be? What's she going to be doing for the rest of the season? Loads of really interesting stuff. So absolutely defend this episode of Agent Carter. John, do you defend this episode of Agent Carter? You'll be surprised to hear that I uh, do defend this episode of Agent Carter. Um, I'm going to give it a nice, big, juicy four tortoises of fury um, out of five tortoises <laughs> of fury. Um, so you could say it's the uh, Mutant Ninja Turtles um, on, on this uh, episode of Agent Carter. <laughs> to me, this was filled with big, juicy questions. What's on Whitney's forehead? Where is Wilkes? Who is Violet? Is Peggy ever going to get a man? Because it seems like uh, this is eluding her. Um, you know, it was really good. We have the nefarious council being brought in. Uh, we have some really good social commentary in this episode. Um, and again, it's just so intriguing. And we have the zero matter and we see some of what it's capable of. Um, and hopefully we're going to see more of that. Um, along with the answers of all the questions kind of posed in this in this episode and i think i'm most excited to see what happens to whitney frost Mm -hmm. um and again i just thought this was an excellent excellent um episode of agent carter because under all of that there was also that fun uh, and lightness that i talked about last week which i i just think for me is integral so i i love the fact that it's there and i love the fact that it it means something uh even down to the sock on the doorknob yeah, yeah. so yeah great i definitely defend this episode of agent carter excellent another episode another episode defended thanks guys we don't have any feedback this week what we are going to talk about very quickly is our uh poll results uh that were out that we put out for jessica jones so um, I don't think they're valid. There was no UN observer in, in this. Um, <laughs> I feel as though uh, my uh, sit-on-the-fence uh, voice were, wasn't heard fully across all social platforms. <laughs> well, let me let me give the listeners a recap of what we asked. Uh, so we said, does Jessica Jones fly in the Netflix TV series? Since we've seen the full episodes of the show at the end, we had a little bit of a discussion, particularly between myself and Chris, as to whether she flew during the show. So we threw it out to our listeners on Twitter, on Facebook, and on Google+. Uh, the specific question that was asked from Chris, or the proposition that came from Team Chris, was, uh, yes, she is the first superhero in the MCU that flies under her own power. Uh, from Team Derek, it was, no, it's more like uh, what the Hulk does, using her strength to jump in the air. And from Team John, it was, either way, she can do a mean hop, skip, or jump. <laughs> so... <laughs> On Twitter and on Google+, Plus, we only put out the Team Derek or Team Chris options, making it a 50-50 chance that one of us might win. Uh, I think I might have uh, ruined the results a little bit on Facebook. Uh, we have two votes for John, no, no votes for me, and uh, six votes for Chris. So as per our Facebook group, which you can find by looking for Defenders TV Podcast and joining our page on Facebook... Um, as per that group, you are the winner, Chris. Well done. Thank you, thank you, thank you. There is a very different feeling on the open uh, group that is Twitter and on uh, Google+. Plus. Uh, <laughs> over on Twitter, we had 75% of the vote uh, went to uh, me for saying that 
Jessica Jones does not fly during the series of the show, uh, saying that she does, in fact, just jump. And over on Google+, Plus, 82% of the vote uh, went to me, uh, saying, Team Derek is right. Uh, Jessica Jones does jump, not fly. Um, so, of which all of these are invalidated by the very fact that um, we can't compare them between Facebook because little old me sat on the fence like Humpty Dumpty, um, wasn't there? I'm Colin Fowl. I'm Colin No, I'm going <laughs> right. to do a Donald Trump. I want a recount. Never do a Donald Trump, Chris. No. That rhymes with the wrong things. <laughs> that sounds like you've just farted. I'm just Donald Trump. <laughs> I can only say that now until like he's the next president of the United States. Then obviously I have to respect him to some degree. Okay. <laughs> or do I? I don't know. <laughs> that is our protocol next, for this. That is our next quiz and poll. <laughs> do we have to respect Donald Trump? Yeah. There you go. That is the, those are the results of our poll on uh, whether Jessica Jones flies or jumps. Um, seems like we're still not getting any agreement in the podcast booth here. Uh, <laughs> with that, we will leave you. If you want to follow our podcast, you can follow it on defenderstvpodcast.com slash iTunes, where you can pick up the iTunes feed. You can get us in any good podcast catcher and some evil ones. Uh, just search Defenders TV Podcast. Uh, and if you want to send us any feedback, you can follow us on Twitter at DefendersCast, where we do live tweet the episodes of Agent Carter as they're released on a Thursday night at 9pm on Fox TV UK. If you want to send us in more detailed feedback, you can either join our Facebook group, our Facebook page over on Facebook, obviously search Defenders TV Podcast, or you can email us at feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. Always love hearing from you and always love discussing your thoughts as well as our own. Uh, thanks very much for joining us. We'll be back with you next week. Yeah, thank you so much for listening. I'm going to put a sock on the doorknob. And I'm Chris, and I'm going to see you next time because I'm going off for a tortoise of fury. <laughs> Curried. <laughs> Bye. And I think, I don't know, it, it does, I would look, I would... This has been a Flickering Myth Podcast Network production. For more information, head over to flickeringmyth.com for more shows like it. Find this show in iTunes by searching for the podcast name and head over to youtube.com forward slash flickeringmyth to subscribe to the Flickering Myth movie show. We'll see you on the next podcast. Take care. Bye-bye.